As we get ready to dive in tonight's message, I pray and I hope that it will be beneficial to you as we continue on and just bringing forth God's word uh, during this time. So as we get ready to dive in tonight, make sure that you have your Bibles with you, you've got something to write with, and now let's dive into tonight's message. Well, what's going on, everybody? Last week, we kicked off this brand new series that we called Half-Hearted Creatures. And we got this title from a quote from C.S. Lewis, where he calls all of us as human beings half-hearted creatures. He basically says that if we were to take our desires to God and present them to him, God would look at us and say, it's too small. Why are you settling for less? Now, depending on what some of your ambitions and desires may be, you might be sitting there going, man, that's mind blowing that God would say that my desires for this life are too small. C.S. Lewis then goes on to compare all of us to a small child making mud pies in the slum someplace, saying that we just can't grasp the fact that God has something better in mind for us. Lewis says that the problem is that we aren't creatures that are never pleased, just the opposite. He says that we are creatures that are easily pleased in this life, that we allow the things of the here and now to distract us from the things that God has in mind for every single one of us. And we look last week at what some of those things are. The things that distract us look a lot like our dream job. They look like money. It's that guy or girl that you've been pursuing or the image of the guy or girl that you've pictured in your head. It's the popularity and it's also just simply our comfortability in this life. And again, in and of those things, they're not terrible. But the list of those things, however, are the things that distract us from the joys that God really has for us and which is eternity. That's what he has written onto our hearts. He doesn't want us to be bogged down by the things of the here and now. He wants us to live this life playing with uh, the long game in mind, knowing that there is something much greater on the other side of this life, and that lasts for all eternity. So how do we do that? How do we live this life, uh, not for the here and now, but with the long game in mind? Well, we have to choose uh, to be full hearted creatures. We have to change our perspective that we have in this life. Now, the Bible says a lot about the human heart. In fact, one passage of scripture that many of you are probably familiar with that you've heard before is Proverbs 4.23. And this is what it says. It says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Now, again, a lot of you are probably familiar with that proverb because a lot of you have probably heard that, that passage used when it comes to dating relationships. And while I think that it's all well and good that we should guard our heart from getting into poor relationships or uh, keeping guard to make sure that we don't get into a relationship with somebody who's going to toy with our heart, I think that God has more in mind for us than just a great dating life. And I think that that passage has a lot more to do than just how to have a great dating life. I personally think that God wants you to have the best life, an abundant life. And the Bible says that you can't trust your heart to get you there. Because what we saw from what Jeremiah said uh, last week is our heart is deceitful. And who really knows how wicked it truly is? 
Those of you that have been following our weekly devos on our Instagram page, you've probably at this point come to know that I love movies. I love watching movies. And one series of movies that I have fallen in love with are the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I love the tales and the grand adventures of Captain Jack Sparrow. And quickly into this series of movies, we learn that Jack has three loves in his life. The first is rum. The second is his hat. And then the third is this infamous compass that he always carries around with him. And in the first movie, Jack Sparrow actually gets made fun of because they look at this compass and they think that it's broken because it doesn't point north. And so what we end up finding now as the series goes on was the compass was never designed to point north. The compass design was to reveal and to point towards what it is that that person desires most in life. So much like Jack's compass, our hearts, if we're not careful, will point us to the thing that we desire most. But we have to keep in mind that because we are half-hearted creatures, the desires of our hearts tend to point us away from that thing that we need and points us towards our, our uh, earthly desires, our carnal satisfactions. Look what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews 3.12 says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. So if we're not careful, our hearts will lead us away from what it is that we need most, which is Jesus. So how do we guard our hearts? How do we not pursue the things that are vanishing, that are here today, gone tomorrow? Well, I would suggest that we take the advice from King David when he writes in Psalm 26 too. He says this, put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. In our text tonight, that's exactly what we're going to see take place. In Mark chapter 10, it records an interaction between Jesus and this young guy that started as a simple question, a question that is still commonly asked by many of us today. And it's, as the story unfolds, what we watch is Jesus begins to cross-examine this individual, testing his motives and his heart. So pick up the story with me, Mark chapter 10, starting verse 17, and this is what it says. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing that you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. So this interaction opens up with one of the most famous asked questions still in our world today. And it's the question that many of you have probably asked yourself. It's the question that goes a lot like this. Well, how good do I have to be to gain heaven? How good is good enough? Now, this is something that we all, uh, we all want to know, right? Most people stumble into church for the first time with this question in mind. We even ask this question after we accept Jesus into our lives. And why is it such a popular question? 
because we all want to know how much of our lives here and now can we continue to live and still be saved and still inherit eternal life. It's the half-hearted creature question. It's the desire that we have for eternity, as Solomon talked about, while not giving up the pleasures of this world. So we ask, what do, you, what do I have to give up? In order to follow Jesus, in order to gain heaven, what am I going to have to give up in this life to inherit heaven? Do I have to sleep with less people? Do I have to stop partying and possibly drink less? Will I have to do some charity work? And if I do, how much charity work am I going to have to do? Will I have to start going to church more often? Will I have to read my Bible? Do I have to pray? A lot of these things we enjoy, a lot of these things bring satisfaction and they feel good to our lives. So when we find out that eternity has been written onto our hearts, uh, that we can have a chance of eternity in heaven and not hell, we, uh, we want the Bible or some pastor or some person to answer the question for us, man, how much Jesus do I need in my life to save me while not changing who I am? Now, does that sound familiar to any of you? That's the half-hearted creature mentality. That's the reason why a lot of us who have claimed Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior still find ourselves doing the same old things that we were doing once before, and those things are dumb. Or we find ourselves desiring uh, and wanting to do the things that we know that we shouldn't be doing. The Apostle Paul understood this half-hearted creature mentality well, and it was something that he struggled with himself. And it was so much of a struggle for him that he records the struggle for us to be able to look back on and see how it was that he was going to deal with it. He records it in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Now, Paul grew up admiring the religious elite of his time. He dedicated himself to understanding God's law. And God's law are the rules and regulations that all God-fearing people, men and women, lived by in that time. It was their moral compass. The law was established to show just how half-hearted God's chosen people were. It's the same law that Paul is now referring to that is revealing to him just how divided his motives are. The law shows him that uh, he shows that the law shows him what he should do. And Paul says that the fact that he wants to do the good that the law is talking about, he says, man, that because of that, the law is actually a good thing. But he says that he doesn't do him. And the reason why is because of the sin nature that he has. The moral compass that is God's law points people to their need of Jesus. But Paul is saying his heart is a broken compass that doesn't point to the true north, but to the things that he knows that he shouldn't be doing that he wants to do. It's the same law that Jesus uses to answer the rich, the rich young ruler's question. Jesus responds again, if you look with me, he says, You know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, 
honor your father and mother. Now, Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? To which Jesus responds and says, just love God with everything that you are. But then he follows up and says, but there is a second commandment that's much like it. And that command is to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses from God can really be summed up in these two simple statements. Love God and love others. So when the rich uh, young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was using the law as his moral guideline. Now, Jesus responds with five law requirements. And uh, what Jesus was pointing to was all five of those have to do with a relationship, one's relationship with another person, the command to love others, to which the rich young ruler proudly proclaims that he has upheld each one of these laws since he was a young boy. And it's because the rich young ruler's Uh, ruler is using the law because he's using the law to show off how righteous that he felt like he was. Jesus then in return uses the same law to point out how sinful he actually is. The second command to love others requires you to love your neighbor as yourself, to love others as yourself. And to be honest, that's really hard to do, isn't it? Because we work so hard to make sure that our finances are covered. We do everything that we need to do to make sure that we have food in our belly. We make sure that, uh, or we pursue our desires no matter who we have to step on in order to achieve them. A lot of us forget sometimes that the American dream, chasing after that, means climbing the corporate ladder and stepping on and hurting people in the progress as well. You see, the text says that Jesus looked at the rich young ruler with genuine Love and told him there's still one thing that he is lacking, that he hasn't appealed to. He says his wealth was holding him back. His life of luxury and comfort in the now was distracting him from, the, from truly inheriting the life that God had in mind for him. Jesus told him, go and sell all of your possessions and then take the money and give it to the poor. And then he says, then come follow me. And the rich young ruler, it says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions. You see, his heart was divided between the things that he had and the one thing that he truly needed, which was a relationship with Jesus. So watching the young man, this ruler, this rich young ruler fade into the crowd, Jesus takes takes a look around at his disciples and seizes this as an opportunity to launch into a teaching moment. And in the very next section, Jesus says, it's hard for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, upon hearing Jesus say this, the text says that the disciples were astonished. And why? Because in their time, wealth was associated with God's blessing. You see, we focus all this time so far on God's law. And then that same law that the rich young ruler brought before Jesus and the same law that Jesus used to answer the rich young ruler's question, that same law actually mentions that God promises prosperity to those who obey him. That's crazy, isn't it? But when you think back on some of the Old Testament characters that we're familiar with, we see evidence of this. With Abraham, he was prosperous. God promised him a great land and many descendants. That's considered wealth, you guys. We see with Joseph that he became second in command in the mo- of the most powerful empire in the time in Egypt. 
And while Job is not one that we would typically associate with God's blessing because of the hardships that, we, that he went through, we have to remember that Job was a wealthy man prior to losing everything. And at the end of the book that carries his name, it says that God restored uh, the things that Job had lost and even blessed him with twice as much. And then we looked at last week, this guy Solomon, who goes down in history as the richest man that ever lived. So for Jesus to say that it's hard for the wealthy to inherit the kingdom of God, this would have been one of the most mind-blowing statements for anybody during that time to hear because it goes against everything that they have ever been taught and everything that they've ever understood about who God is. But the question is, why is it difficult for the wealthy, for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God? Well, it's the lack of their need for anything, right? When you have the means to have whatever it is that you want to live comfortably in this life, why would you ever feel like you need anything else? This is where you could reinsert C.S. Lewis's quote, um, those with wealth have everything that they could want on this side of eternity, and because they have the potential, those who have the, the means to have everything that they want on this side of eternity, uh, they have the potential of falling into the danger trap of becoming what C.S. Lewis says, a kid uh, making mud pies in the slum. They're, they're falling short of what God has in mind for them because they're distracted by these things that they can see and touch. But to be clear, wealth is not the real problem. The danger is allowing your wealth to distract you from what you really need, which is, again, Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So what are you placing value on? Where is the treasure of your heart? If you had Jack Sparrow's compass, where would it point to you? What, were the, what would be the things or the person or, or whatever that would say this is what you're truly desiring after? Jesus would later say in Matthew 6 that you have to choose carefully who your master is going to be, who you're going to choose to follow, because uh, uh, people can't serve two masters, right? Jesus says that you'll hate one and love the other, and that you'll de be devoted to one while despising the other. And you know what Jesus is talking about there? He's talking about wealth. He's talking about money. He's, this is why it's so hard for the wealthy to inherit the kingdom of God, because their master, their devotion is not to almighty God, it's to the almighty dollar. And this is why the rich uh, young ruler went away sad. His heart was ruled by the things that he had. His heart was divided between the things that he had, uh, which was his wealth, and the thing that he needed, which was Jesus. And the Bible tells us that a kingdom divided simply just cannot stand. Again, though, being wealthy is not the problem. Jesus said that he came to give life and life to the fullest. And I think personally that includes financial stability. I think that includes not being in debt. I think that means, uh, I think that includes having so much money that you're able to acknowledge that you have been blessed so you can be a blessing to others with the finances and the wealth that you have been given. But it's the love for money, the love for money that causes us to be half-hearted creatures. When Jesus instructed the rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions and give everything, all the money, back to the poor, it was not to show that anyone could do anything to inherit eternal life. You see, the gift, the free gift of salvation is that. It's a gift. No one can do enough good to earn their way into heaven. In fact, do you know what the Bible has to say about your good deeds? 
Isaiah 64, 6 says that God looks upon your good deeds as filthy rags. And why is that? Because anything good that we can do is nothing in comparison to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Nothing compares to the blood of Jesus. And Jesus' little brother James would tell us that salvation is not the result of the good things we do. The good things that we do are a result of the salvation that we have from the grace and mercy of God. It transforms us. The grace of God and the free gift of salvation is what causes us to want nothing more and nothing less than to love God and to love others. So when Jesus is telling this rich young ruler to sell his possessions and give it to the poor, it was to show how divided his heart was. It was to reveal to him what was truly stopping him from inheriting eternal life. And as half-hearted creatures ourselves, it's the same question that we all need to reflect on. So what's stopping you from being a wholehearted follower of Jesus? What are the things that are distracting you from the fullest life that Jesus came to give, that he's come to call you to? What is dividing your heart? You see, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will allow our wicked, deceitful heart to lead us to be much like the rich young ruler, that even though uh, we come face to face with what we're supposed to do and what we're, what we're called to, which is to follow Jesus, we will still leave saddened and unwilling to give up our comfort for the sake of what God wants for us, even when what God wants for us is greater than what we could think, dream, or imagine. Let's pray.